Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny, Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, bro? Chilling, man. As per usual, how about yourself? Pretty good, bro. <laughs> you sound like in I, a good mood today. What's up? I'm in a good mood. We need to change up the intro. Honestly, um, I feel whenever I listen to this podcast over again, like when we do our first, uh, like whenever whenever I edit the show or whenever mm-hmm. I'm just listening to the show, the intro, I just feel like, I always feel a little cringy. <laughs> I don't know I if mean, you feel the same way. I feel a little I mean, cringy whenever I um, hear myself say, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. I'm indifferent to it, man. I, I think it just works. Yeah. I remember when we first started doing the show and we would stumble over we would redo the intro probably about 15 times before we actually got started. Um, so we'd have like five to six minutes of, of just false starts. <laughs> uh, so whenever we landed on what we've been doing for like 200 episodes, um, it works. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, in my opinion. But maybe you guys can let us know. <laughs> I just feel like I sound like one of those YouTubers. Like, what's up, guys? Welcome to my vlog. Today, I'm going to show you how to steal a Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it comes with the territory, man. I feel like every show has that somewhat cheesy, somewhat, um, you know, contrived intro. I you kind of have to. It is what it is. It's just part of the entertainment biz. Yeah. Um, you got to say welcome to your audience, but we're back. We're back after another week. We told you we would be back. Like, wouldn't and, it be awkward um, if we just started talking, right? Like, intro music ends, and then you're just like, we're already talking about the thing. It'd be a little strange, right? Especially for, like, new listeners. They'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? That's honestly my ideal start, though. Just, uh, mm-hmm. we pick a record, we start recording, and then we just pick a random time in the podcast to start the actual episode. That's how I would do it. But I understand that that might be, um confusing for new listeners so that's why i think that a proper intro is is uh is correct but all right you guys don't want to hear about this shit this is not what you're listening to this show for to hear (laughs) our inner monologues about us podcasting um you want to hear about you know the topic of today and uh the topic of today is did you see the new home alone trailer you're making a remake (laughs) no i didn't see the trailer man Uh, does it have is it starring macaulay culkin and is he now like one of the robbers because that would be funny. No, so I just saw this like five minutes ago before this before we started this, mm-hmm. and um, they're making they're remaking Home Alone, but it's British. British, yeah, it's British, isn't it? I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
they're remaking some, everything. Some movies, some films are so perfect that you don't need to remake them. I wouldn't necessarily call Home Alone perfect. I think if you no, gave Home it a Alone, watch. I think Home Alone, Home Alone Two is is the greatest Christmas film ever. Why? Uh, because Donald Trump's released. in it. <laughs> yeah, because Donald Trump's in it. No, it's just so fun. It's just I don't know. I can still watch that um, a million times. Um, all right, so we're talking about Ethiopia. Um, enough with <laughs> this nonsense. Um, we're talking about Ethiopia. Um, we did an episode about Ethiopia about almost a year ago at this point. Yep. We last haven't November. really continued to. I mean, I've been following the story, but I haven't really been talking about it over the past year, um, mainly just because it's really hard to understand what's really going on. Um, as a as a Westerner, it's 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 difficult because I'm not entrenched and I don't know all the nuances of that, and it's really hard to make up an opinion. Uh, when, when there's a lot of propaganda from, at least from me, it sounds like there's a lot of propaganda coming from both sides. So I've yeah, been refraining no, talking about I'm, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in the same boat. I feel like every time I'm reading about this, my opinion keeps changing between like, who's the bad guy. And I think I'm coming to the conclusion that everyone's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll let you guys decide. I, I don't really think there is a, there is a bad guy. And, and, um, today I just wanted to talk about know what what i know and and what i think and i'm sure people who are ethiopian right now are going to get really upset at this podcast Probably have an opinion for sure yeah um last time we did we did an episode on this um we really opened up a can of worms there's a lot of people who are upset about that uh just because either our opinions didn't come on the right side according to them but we're going to do this episode anyway yeah um i had never realized how uh radically polarizing this topic is but it really, it really is between uh, you know the Tigray and and uh, Ethiopia, but um, yeah, I mean I we don't shy away from the we don't shy away from the. Uh, <laughs> the I thought when, when we topic, started so. this, I thought Israel Palestine <laughs> would be the most controversial thing that we would speak about, but I was wrong. Israel Palestine is number three in, on the list of controversial topics that uh, polarize our audience. Uh, the right. two top ones are, are this topic and then India Kashmir is yep. number two. India Kashmir was huge. Like I thought that was going to be an interesting story and, and people were just like either they loved it or they hated it, depending on what side they felt like they were on. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the, the history of Ethiopia, but I mean, I just want to talk this out and, and uh, yeah. you know, see hear what you think and, and uh, maybe this will encourage some people to do some extra research on their own. Yep. Um, but to give you kind of a brief background, so right now in northern Ethiopia, there's a war going on between the Ethiopian government and, and Tigray. Tigray is a northern province in Ethiopia. And right now, um, we have a situation where it looks like thousands of, of civilians have been killed and almost too many, 2 million people have been forced from their homes and uh, 1.8 million people are on the brink of famine. And these are our UN numbers. Uh, the UN t- tends to use large numbers. Um, and of course, there are a lot of accounts of uh, systemic rape and atrocities being committed by both sides of the conflict. Yep, and that's right. it was interesting because last week when we were doing our episode on the CIA and we were talking about CIA airlines, you know, you had mentioned to me that you just read this story on, on CNN. They did this mm-hmm. investigative piece on um, how, um, I guess, Ethiopian Airlines was actually smuggling weapons across the country, right? Yep, yep. So like a couple of days ago, like I, like I was saying, I, I turned on CNN out of boredom. 
uh, just to see what the mainstream was trying to peddle these days. And actually, to my surprise, they spent an entire 20 minute segment not discussing COVID or the pullout in Afghanistan or the January Capitol riots or Donald Trump, like at all. And instead, they used that time to bring up this topic. And I thought that this would be something that you'd only hear like on a show kind of like ours. And of course, it was on the Ethiopian War and Tigray region. And you know, while I was pretty surprised to hear about this on CNN, it, it, I think it took me all of like two minutes to figure out where they were going with it. So like, yeah, I think the idea that they were trying to push is that, hey, we're out of Afghanistan, time to pivot to the next war. At least that's the way that it felt like it was framed on the TV. But they did put out a really interesting article uh, that I did go ahead and read. And, you know, I definitely want to talk about it in the show. But, you know, um, I mean, as far as wars go, I expect Taiwan by now, but Ethiopia was kind of an interesting twist. So um, anyway, they they ran this segment and, you know, it was about that, as you said, Ethiopian Airlines was being used to ferry some weapons during the conflict, which has been going on over the last year or so. And that, of course, is against international law and it's problematic for a lot of reasons. Um, and as you also pointed out, this was around the same time that we were doing the research for the CIA uh, for our last episode. And, you know, we talked about Air America and how they were doing basically the same thing. Listen to that episode if you want to hear more about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was too coincidental not to do an update on Ethiopia since we haven't done a full episode on them and this conflict in almost a year's time, almost a year's time. But before we dive into, you know, the details of that particular story, maybe we can just pull it back a little bit and just talk about some backstory, some history uh, for a moment. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's do that. So uh, I guess first and foremost, Ethiopia is a very complicated place with, with many different ethnic groups that don't like each other very much. And they also have very long memories uh, many of these ethnic grievances are, are older than the country itself, and, and um, you know, I won't pretend to, to understand all of them. Um, but Ethiopia is the second largest population in Africa um, after Nigeria. It has about 115 million people. Um, prior to COVID-19, it was, um, it was one of the fastest growing economies in Africa as well. But it's located in one of the most volatile regions in the world, and that is the Horn of Africa. The Horn of Africa is, um, is, on, is the eastern part of Africa, which it includes um, Somalia, uh, Djibouti, Djibouti. Uh, Ethiopia, <laughs> and Eritrea. Um, you know, it's always been a strategic focus for world powers. It was a Cold War battlefield in the 70s. Um, it, the reason why is because it's where the Gulf of Aden meets the Red Sea. So the, the, the Bob Elmendeep Strait, which we've talked about a lot in our episodes on mm -hmm. Yemen, mm -hmm. um, is a strait between Yemen and, and Djibouti and Eritrea in the Horn of Africa. And it's the strategic waterway for oil, for oil that, uh, that goes through the Suez Canal. A water bridge, um, if you will. <laughs> a, a water bridge. It's a very important choke point for, for uh, international oil trade. Yeah. Now... The United States and China, they both have military bases in, in Djibouti. Um, what's interesting for China, that's their only base outside of their country. Mm, I didn't know that, actually. That's interesting. So it shows, yeah, it's their first base outside of their country. So it shows you how they see that area, how strategically important um, you know, the Horn of Africa is to them. Now, um, within Ethiopia, there are between 
I guess somewhere between eighty to ninety different ethnic groups. Yeah, it's a at lot. least from what I've from mm-hmm. what I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if there's more than that. There could very well be, and um, it's a multinational federal republic with the Oromo and the Amara ethnicities accounting for half of the population. However, what makes this a very interesting case is that as just as of 2018, so only three years ago, Ethiopia was predominantly ruled by the Tigrayan ethnic group, which are only about 6% of the population. So you had a situation where a small minority of the population was the dominant faction in the country. I mean, that's... Uh, we've talked about this before, but I think that's kind of a crazy story. Um, Could you like elaborate a little bit on like why, like how could this be the possibility? Yeah. So the hardest thing on this topic is, is uh, trying to start the story. Like where, where in history do you start this? But I guess you can pull this all the way back to the 1800s. So when Italy colonized Eritrea and then uh, tried to, to colonize Ethiopia, but ultimately failed um, so when Ethiopia, when Italy failed to colonize Ethiopia, you know, that was one of the great shocks to Western imperialism in the world. Um, the other one, of course, was when, when Russia lost to Japan during the Russo-Japanese war, mm-hmm. but it was really, um, it was unprecedented at the time that this, this African nation stood up to, or this African country stood up to, you know, a Western imperial power. Um, but after World War II, Eritrea became a protectorate of uh, the British. And it's eventually annexed by the Ethiopian Empire in 1962. And it imposes edicts to suppress the Eritrean language and, and its national identity, which leads to the creation of the Eritrean Liberation Front, so the EPLF. There's going to be a lot of acronyms in this, by the way. There's going to so. be a lot of acronyms <laughs> That's a lot. in this episode. So just bear with us. But the EPLF, the Eritrean Liberation Front, you may be asking yourself, what the hell does it have to do with, the, with Tigray in Ethiopia? It, it will make sense when we're done. So this was an Eritrean independence movement. So in 1974, the emperor of Ethiopia is overthrown by a communist military junta called the Dirge. So the, the Dirge. Dirge was a communist, basically military dictatorship that controlled the country for about 17 years uh, from 1974 to 1991. Mm-hmm. But when the Dirge takes over, um, it sparks out, it, it, it an all out war um, sparks out between uh, Eritrean nationalists and then the Ethiopian military. So the Dirge. Meanwhile, the ethnic Tigrayans in in northern Ethiopia, um, they were also frustrated by the the concentration of uh, government power in the south. So they formed the Tigray People's Liberation Front, so the TPLF. Not to be confused with the EPLF. (laughs) So two different. And right now they're both at war with each other. So it makes it even more confusing mm-hmm. because the Eritreans are now, they invaded Tigray and they're involved in this war. Right. But at this time, they were friends. Uh, what also makes this more interesting and, and uh, more confusing is that um, 
I'm not 100% sure if this is true or not. I'm sure other people will claim this is different. But from what I've read, the Tigrayans and the Eritreans are very similar ethnically and linguistically. Um, and many consider them the same ethnic group. Hmm. So um, I'm just saying that I've heard that. I'm not saying that as a fact or not because I'm not. I don't know enough about the ethnicity of Ethiopia to make that claim. <laughs> also, but, far be it from us to tell people yeah. what they identify as. So, so um, there's there's that. Um, but the the TPLF and then the EPLF, they were brothers in arms against the communist dirge. Um, they were also both leftist groups too. So they're all Marxist Leninist groups. So it shows Just that you can really divide brand. yourself along anything mm-hmm. um but i believe the the eplf they eventually turn into maoism so they leave uh the the marxist leninist uh philosophy and they revert to maoism but i guess that's a, a whole different can of worms um so the eplf the the eritrean nationalist they end up working with the tplf and they they originally are the ones who are arming and they're training the Tigrayan nationalists in Ethiopia. So they trained the TPLF. Now, the Ethiopian civil war that breaks out in the 1980s, it was, was incredibly brutal. I think Westerners look at African conflicts as guys running around with machetes chopping people's hands off. This wasn't the case at all. And these were two highly trained armies uh, with Russian MiGs. They had armor divisions. It was a brutal World War II type modern conflict, and mm-hmm. you know almost two million people were killed if you include the famine that started due to the war. But to um, oversimplify this, the TPLF, so the the armed resistance movement of Tigray, became the successors of the state of Ethiopia after the war was won in 1991. So they're the government that comes into place after the communist dirge. Right, because they won. And they took over. Yes. Meanwhile, the EPLF, they succeed from Ethiopia and they create their own state by 1993. So they, Does that make sense? They, you follow yeah, me right now? Yeah, totally. So uh, the um, Eritreans and the Tigrayans fight a war against the, you know, uh, communist dirge uh, of, of most of Ethiopia and they win. The Tigrayans. And they're both both they're both leftist groups too. Right. Keep in so, mind. So, so the, the TPLF and the EPLF are both Marxist te- like leftist groups. Right. So, so the, just to make it more just confusing. different brands. Right. Mm-hmm. The, and, different brands. And 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 so they fight this war and they win. Uh, so but the Tigrayans take over Ethiopia and the Eritreans just bounce. They're like, all right, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to make our own country. Ex- exactly. Cool. So caught up. All right, so the union between the TPLF and the other political coalitions of Ethiopia, because there's other coalitions in Ethiopia, this is only 6% of the population. Right. So that union is called the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front. All right, say that three times really fast. The EPDRDF. Um, the EP, yeah, the EPRDF, the EPRDF. So what they do is they set up a federal government, or excuse me, a federal republic, and the constitution of this new government established an ethnic federal system that gave ethnic groups autonomy from the centralized state. So this was called ethnic federalism. So in theory, the goal was to end the suppressive centralized control of the state. 
because you know there's different regions that are pretty ethnically based so why not let them have some level of autonomy from that centralized state so while still no, uh, while still maintaining kind of a cohesive unit right exactly right. so you know we'll have a state but you know will everyone all every ethnic zone will have its own kind of autonomy and you know they can do what they want and have their own laws and customs and things like that meanwhile so no one could be uh, completely oppressed if the wrong person gets into it becomes pre, uh, president right or it was prime kind minister. of the, the point of the whole war in the first place because you know the um the they, they were suppressing the eritreans in the first place and they were suppressing the you know tigrayans so in that respect it's you know kind of justified and and like a good idea on paper at yeah. least. <laughs> well what happens is um different not that <laughs> yeah what ends up happening it's not a success story so uh, soon after all right so let me bring this back the tigray regions they experience a disproportionate amount of economic growth and development when compared to the other ethiopian provinces hmm so i wonder why <laughs> soon so soon after coming to power the eprdf they established the endowment fund for the rehabilitation of tigray which basically just distributed a large amount of ethiopian capital and international aid directly to the tigray region mm -hmm. at the expense of other regions in the country and as a result tigray had experienced a radical amount of commercial growth while other regions um, were basically just stagnating mm. tigray is, is everyone there has a higher most people there have a higher income it's usually more educated um there's like a larger um the, the 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 financial uh standing is much better in tigray mm. the, the standard of living is much higher in tigray than the rest of ethiopia um now um essentially what really happened is that ethiopia was ruled by a tigrayan cabal that used the state to enrich themselves Here's where we get in trouble. So, <laughs> yeah, this is where we're going to get the the bad the bad letters. So yeah, basically it was a cabal that was using the central government to enrich certain parts of the country and 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 themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were using the, the government like a piggy bank. And what they've been accused of is creating an ethnic caste system with the Tigray on top. Uh, what what they've also been accused of is that so uh, in the Constitution of Ethiopia, there's a succession clause. Now, what they are said to have done is that they put that clause in there so they could use the, the, the power of the central government in order to loot Ethiopia's resources and then use the Ethiopian military to expand the borders of Tigray and then eventually succeed from Ethiopia. Right. So just basically so that's one of the, land grab, cash grab. something that they've been accused of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you land it, cash grab, and bounce once, you know, they, they've looted enough resources now the father of this system was um melis zinwawi or pronounced melis zinwawi and he was uh ethiopia's democratically elected leader from 1991 to 2012 and i fair warning i'm using the word democratically in air quotes because melis zinwawi was a hateful tyrant and so we're talking about what was that? No, I was just gonna say, and there's another place where we're gonna get yeah. some <laughs> disagreement. Well, I'll get some. I'll get some heat on the other side as well uh, by the end of this. But yeah, he was a hateful tyrant. So we're talking about running a police state. 
He put opposition leaders in jail. His, uh, his police would fire bullets into unarmed crowds. There was ethnic cleansing campaigns against dissident ethnic groups, uh, such as the Anok, uh, and absolutely, totally fraudulent elections. For uh, example, tell me the results. Party, oh, I got to hear this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so his party won more than 99% of the seats in both two, in the 2008 local government elections and the 2010 general pro, uh, parliamentary elections. Oh, only 99? I was shooting for like 103 or 104. <laughs> yeah. So one of the one of the causes for like a big uh, kind of international uh, condemnation of of uh, Melis and Wawi was when police were firing into crowds in 2005, and that mm-hmm. was in, in opposition to another phony election. Mm-hmm. So I mean, interesting. Yeah. So um, naturally, though, with this human rights record. Zinwawi was uh, one of the United States' chief allies in the war on terror. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, I, I, all right. In fairness, I think anyone who was the, you know, leader of uh, Ethiopia uh, would have been uh, allies with the U.S. during the war on terror just naturally because that's a really good spring off point, you know, uh, to combat international terror. You know, there's plenty of you know, uh, you know, kind of Al Qaeda brand uh, uh, terrorist groups in in that whole region in the Horn of Africa. So you know they need to set up a foothold there anyway. So whether it was Zenwawi or somebody else, I think it they probably would have you know been buddy buddy with them anyway. But it's just kind of ironic that Zenwawi has this kind of very poor human rights record to boot. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons, another thing that they've been accused of is that, you know, they, they use that pretext to, to ethnically cleanse their, their ethnic groups that they don't like out of the country. Cause they got America on their back. Right. So like Somali, so Somali and more of the Muslim parts in the Eastern part of the country. Mm -hmm. Now um, I'll pull this back just to give you some context. And another really good resource for this is Scott Horton. Mm. Um, Scott Horton has a whole chapter on this in his book. Um, But the U.S. uses um, Ethiopia to invade Somalia in 2006, and um, the, the Ethiopian army was involved in just terrible war crimes, like um, in the uh, in the Ogaden regions in, in eastern Ethiopia, where the majority of the people are Muslims and ethnically Somali. Uh, the Ethiopians, there's a story how they once showed up uh, demanding to know, you know, why villagers have been providing food. And uh, in safe haven to this this rebel group called uh, I'm not even there's another acronym I'm not going to even give you it's the ONLF the Ogaden National Liberation Front which was like another separatist movement from Ethiopia that mainly represented Somalis uh, because there's a large Somali diaspora in Ethiopia because I mean this you know that's they're right next to each other right and also borders and, don't you know, really these, mean very much <laughs> as yeah. far as like so ethnic with, groups go yeah I guess diaspora diaspora is not even the right word for that but with but, but I guess they never they didn't re- really receive a satisfactory answer. So these Ethiopian soldiers, they, they end up kidnapping seven teenage girls and they hung three of them in the woods. And then the rest of them went missing, probably dead or, or turned into sex slaves. That's fucked up. So um, there's like a lot of just kind of uh, atrocities that have been committed in that war. Now, um, in 2018, a 
multi-ethnic coalition finally to they, they win they they beat out the tplf uh, electorally bringing in prime minister abiy ahmed to power now um in the, the, the tplf they refused to join um abiy ahmed's uh, prosperity party upon its formation in december of 2000 uh, or excuse me yeah december of 2019 mm-hmm. um and then he he then he um proceeds to end hostilities with eritrea for which he wins a Nobel Peace Prize. Go figure. You see, um, even though the the EPLF, so the the Eritrean nationalist, the EPLF is trains the TPLF back in the seventies. Um, you know they were brothers in arms in the Ethiopian civil war. They eventually turn into bitter, bitter enemies, and it really goes to show you that even that you know when you align politically together. And you have the same ethnic group, um, and you have all these things in common, this common history, this common uh, struggle, you still find something to hate each other over. And in this case, it was just good old-fashioned nationalism Hmm. and border disputes. Um, Eritrea's uh, independence eventually evolved into a border war in the late 90s. And this was another war that killed around 100,000 people. You won't get that in history, um, but... (laughs) Yeah. Now, this, this war was followed by a 20-year stalemate until both states signed a peace treaty in 2018. But what, um, what, what united um, Abiy Ahmed in Isaias Afwerki, um, Isaias uh, Afwerki, the, the president of Eritrea, is another bona fide despot, um, oh, was their common, common enemy, mm-hmm. the, the Tigray. So this alliance obviously infuriated the TPLF because, I mean, just think about it, because they were, they were uh, caught in a pincer movement because Eritrea is to the north of Tigray while the central government is down in the south. Right. So they're kind of forced, they're kind of like Germany in World War I where, you know, they have and Russia to sides. the mm-hmm. east and, and they have France and England to the west. So they... They're they're kind of locked, and also Ethiopia is landlocked. By the way, right? Well, Tigray is. Um, now um, it, it kind of makes you think, though. Is that why Abiy Ahmed won the Nobel Peace Prize for creating a military alliance against the TPLF? <laughs> Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. 
Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, you could you it could make like that, that you could make that connection. I think I think you know, the, the folks that probably awarded him the Nobel Peace Prize was saying like, oh, they're looking at it from the perspective of the border wars that were, you know, occurring between the two countries, Eritrea and Ethiopia. And they were like, oh, okay, well, if they're going to shake hands and be cool about it, that's fine. But I think obviously they're, well, maybe not obviously, but at least I think you're hinting at that there were some ulterior motives. Uh, and that was primarily the Tigray and, and like aligning themselves together against the Tigray. So, you know, yeah. if you do a good thing it's for a bad reason, is it about... still a good thing? <laughs> you know? Well, look what we're at right now. We're at another war. Right. And that and that, that Nobel Peace Prize, that military alliance is, is one of the ultimate causes for this war that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. That that alliance between Ahmed, Abiy Ahmed and and, uh, and Eritrea is what has uh, caused the TPL, TPLF to um, get really upset. Now, the, the present day conflict begins with uh, when uh, Abiy Ahmed he cancels parliamentary elections in September of 2020, mm-hmm. allegedly due to COVID-19. Right. Allegedly. Was it due to COVID-19? I don't know. Other countries have had elections. The United States had elections. Well, False elections. Maybe no, they I'm didn't. Joking. Maybe they didn't have the capacity. To <laughs> Phony do <mail>. elections. <laughs> maybe they didn't I mean, have the capacity to do mail-in ballots. <laughs> maybe they didn't have the capacity. Seems like it'd be a fucking full of shit power grab. Yeah. Now, um, the TPLF was like, what? Now, that's we know this game. This is something that we would have done, basically. <laughs> this, we would have done something like this. Right. So what they do is that they organize their own elections in the Tigray, in, in the Tigray region that were not recognized by the central government. And um, as uh, Abi tried to assert control over the, the region— um, on November 3rd of last year, the TDLF attacked army bases in Tigray, and um, they started looting military equipment Okay, so and weapons let, let systems. Let me, let me make that clear because you used the, the um, acronym again, and I want to make sure people don't get lost. So November 3rd last year, the Tigrayan separatist force attacks an army brace in their region of Tigray, that obviously yes. belongs to the central government, right? Exactly. And they take heavy weapon systems. So that's what they do. Yeah, it's kind of like the the South, um, the American Civil War, uh, the South firing on Fort Sumter or something that's right. like that. You know that's what I mean? right. That's a perfect example. Uh-huh. So it's just so, because of all the damn, you know, uh, acronyms, I want to make sure that people don't get uh, <laughs> confused at what's going on there. Yeah, it, so... They they seized a military base on their territory that belonged to the government. But and, all right, obviously so, that comes with some penalty, right? So <laughs> yeah. So in response, Abi he deployed the military to you know crush this rebellion, and uh, he joined forces with the Eritrean military. So mm-hmm. I guess the TPLF was right. 
I mean, it's kind of a chicken in the egg, right? So if the TPLF hadn't attacked, would this counterattack, including the Eritrean military, have ever occurred? I don't know. Well, I guess you're right. It's a chicken and the egg thing, but also it seems like in, they had there was some warrant to that. To, to, to be that fair to the other side, to the, the to, the, movement. to be fair to the other side, the Tigrayans who might be listening, you know, there is some scrutiny around this story about whether or not it occurred, or if it had occurred, whether or not they were put up to it, or if that was like bait to just do it, or that they were going to do it anyway, and they were trying to, you know, uh, get ahead of it by taking some heavy weaponry to defend themselves. You know, there's there's a number of unconfirmable, um, you know, allegations that are flying around about this particular event, but it definitely is that flashpoint, that, that moment that shit starts to hit the fan. Yeah. Now, um, Ethiopian forces, they, they end up capturing the Tigrayan capital of Mikel. I think it's pronounced Mikel. But yeah, feel free to correct like me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, they they capture the capital by the end of November. But um, you know, in the following months, and this is what I've read, and I'm not 100 percent sure uh, what to think about this. But apparently, a lot of there's been a lot of atrocities, and a lot of the atrocities so far have been pointed to Amaran militias and Eritrean troops. Now. I've also read that there's been a lot of atrocities on from the Tigrayan side as well. Right. So everyone's um, pointing fingers it's, right now. It's hard to take every. You know, it's it's war, and war is nasty and ugly. So there's there's most likely atrocities going from both sides, but the press is is pointing most of their fingers at the Amaran militias as well as the Eritrean troops. They're blaming them for a lot of the um, you know sexual. Uh, systemic rapes that are going on, the door to door, a lot of the massacres. But I've also been reading. I've also been reading a lot of stuff about Tigrayan rebels uh, killing people as well, yep. and and committing atrocities as well. So um, it's really hard like to get the story sides. straight. It's honestly so hard to get the story straight on this because like it depends on what you read, right? Yeah, and also there's a media blackout going on as well. Mm-hmm. So. so that makes it even harder. We talked about that last year when when the conflict started, and you know it it was like we're just kind of taking a stab in the dark uh, at what might be happening and we're doing our best to try and present all of the information that we get. But honestly, nobody really knows right now, you know, like, and, and everyone's pointing the fingers elsewhere and everyone's denying atrocities. So it's kind of hard to tell. So um, now what's, what's um, also interesting to point out is that by June of 2021, so about five months later or six months later, uh, the TDLF, they had a max, massive counterattack and they recaptured their capital. That's right. So, and so, um, it ultimately caused the the Ethiopian army to withdraw from Tigray. Mm-hmm. So to, but to, now, to wrap that part up, though, it's, it's to the Eritrean and... Ethiopian governments seized a bunch of land and, and capital from Tigray. Tigray turns around and recaptures it. So that's that's what, what's going on there. Yeah, um, because a lot of the military was were they were Tigrayan. A lot of the higher ranks were they were Tigrayan, right? Um, because they were the you know establishment that basically yeah. took over and formed the government in the first place. So that makes a lot of sense. But but right now there's a two front war. Um, so there's, uh, 
the war is uh it's the, the TPLF is fighting the Eritrean troops in the north while it's it's uh you know trying to uh force its troops down uh this highway the B30 highway uh towards Gondar in the Amara region and um since since May of this year the Ethiopian government has officially considered the TPLF to be a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, Ethiop- the Ethiopian government, though, on the flip side, has been accused of ethnic cleansing. Right. And now here's some interesting stuff that I've read. So there is this um, f- um, fin- Finnish foreign minister. His name is uh, Pekka Havisto or Havisto. During an EU special envoy to Ethiopia, apparently he was speaking to these guys be, you know, behind closed doors, these, uh, these Ethiopian officials, and he said that they were speaking very aggressively, like they were saying some very inflammatory things that he was shocked to hear as an as, as uh, official envoy from the EU. And I'll quote this. this is, I have the quote up. When I met the Ethiopian leadership in February, they really use this kind of language that they're going to destroy the Tigrayans. They're going to wipe out the Tigrayans for 100 years and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually, um, that, that's, it's funny that you say that and, and how aggressive that is because actually you sent me this and this was a statement from the Prime Minister uh, Abiy and you know the language that he used was pretty clearly fucked up so some of the words that he used to describe specifically the tplf was like uh, a junta or a cancer a devil a weed right uh specifically cancer popped up a lot that they were a cancer in ethiopia um and you know like he's pointing at the tplf but you know the dog whistle here is to grains generally uh and there's a lot of reports of you know even within uh, um, greater Ethiopia of, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, fuck, why am I blinking? I'm having a brain fart. It's okay. We all have brain farts. When, when discrimination, sorry, <laughs> I have no idea why that word just I, totally that left to me brain. all the time where, Fucking where dis- a word that discrimination. So there's been a lot of like, uh, uh reports of, uh, discrimination against Tigrayans inside of um, uh, greater Ethiopia. And uh, I want to, I'll talk about a few later, but um, you know, and, and the media right now, at least, you know, from the CNN perspective, they're, they're kind of playing this uh, idea that, you know, Tigray is this small, you know, uh, uh, portion of uh, Ethiopia and that they're being bullied by, you know, the rest of it and Eritrea. So, but but there's some honestly there's some there's some legs to that especially when when it's coming from the horse's mouth and he's he's basically calling them a cancer, you know. So. Yeah, so you're right. This this uh, speech he basically is calling them a cancer and, and, and using very hardcore uh, ethnic nationalist type language to describe them and you know, he's calling arms to every Ethiopian to rid them from the country and all this stuff. And I'll just speak to my own experience when, um, just last year when we did this episode, man, I received some very strange messages, um, from, from people saying stuff to me, like how 
the uh, to grains or dogs and stuff, mm-hmm. and like how they should be purged from the earth, and just weird shit was sent to me. Yeah, there's definitely uh, some racism so, going on there for sure. So, so I was just like, man, that's um, that's, and they were like, kind of like saying, yeah, you did a great job in an episode. You call out the green scum. Like I was like, <laughs> all right, what? what? I was uh, that wasn't where I was going at, but you know, I don't really at this point. I'm not really 100% sure where to what what to think about the entire conflict. I just know it's ugly and you know my my take on it is that this is the result ultimately of this kind of ethnic uh federal system that um allows one group to rule over another group. Mm-hmm. Like like this and it just creates deep-seated hatred when one group is able to oppress the other group using the power of the state. And um, what the Tigre are are ultimately facing is is the blowback from from that. Right. And um, but I'm not, not saying it's correct to do that. I think exactly it's not to, not to excuse what's going on, what's happening that. to them right now, because I think it's equally fucked up to say that you know this legitimately small corner of uh of ethiopia is now you know having the full force of the entire you know ethiopian military bear down on them and have you know a military uh, partnership with uh with eritrea one of their one of their other enemies as well so you know they're they're kind of getting a, a, a bad shake right now um I, I mean like you said i think it's it's a product of the system and you know, on paper, at least it sounded like a good idea, but in practice, they just didn't do it correctly. <laughs> you know. Well, now, now the United States is is taking sides, right? Um, the U.S. The whole world was pretty pumped when, obviously, Abi was elected as prime minister. Right. He immediately started doing reforms. Right. And honestly, compared to other Ethiopian leaders, he does seem like a better guy than <laughs> yeah, others. Yeah, he was doing a pretty he good job. He definitely yeah. seems like a better dude than fucking Zawawi. Like, but, you know, he started releasing political um, prisoners and things like that. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, you, you can't, you, you hear what he says and you're like, oh, okay, this is not, this isn't good. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that, that Nobel Peace Prize seems like, I mean, I just based off my perception on it, maybe there's a lot more to it that I don't know about, but it seems like it was just a military alliance mm. um, based on what I've read. But the U.S. Has, has seemed to have taken sides. And, um, you know, I've read some stuff is that that the reason why the U.S. is taking the side of, uh, of uh, the Tigrayans, uh, the TPLF side, is because... Um, because of China, because, but I've also read that the, um, or I was told that the agreements that China has with, with Ethiopia were established when the Tigray were in power. So I'm not really hundred percent sure about that. Right. And then, um, there's also just kind of the, the, um, you know, the level of familiarity the U S government has with the, the Tigray leadership because um, we worked with them extensively during the war on terror and we had a relationship with them. I mean, Susan Rice apparently had a really, really close relationship, a relationship with, um, with Zinawawi. So it's, 
it's uh there's interesting dynamics it might just be because the people in the state department just are kind of friendly with with the people from uh from from tigray and and that could be it i mean and, well, so if i can offer my take i think it's kind of easy to to you know it's an easy story to sell to the american public that oh look at this well no, no one from america is listening no one cares about well, well that's why i was so surprised and maybe we can you know uh get back to how we started the show in the first place because they're starting to introduce this to the people right this this yeah. cnn segment was the first major like inroad there um and I, actually before i give before i give my take on it and, and talk about some of this stuff let's 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 go a little deeper into that that story um so going back to the beginning apparently how ethiopia uh uh their government used their their country's flagship commercial airline and that's uh ethiopian airlines um to shuttle weapons to and from you know uh uh, eritrea during that that crisis last year um and you know, this happened uh, apparently across multiple uh, Ethiopian Airlines planes and flights uh, in November uh, 2020 during the first uh, couple weeks of the conflict. And and honestly, I wish we could have gotten that scoop when we were covering it last year because it's is a really fascinating story. Um, I just want to start by saying that smuggling weapons on civilian aircraft is a violation of international aviation law. And there is a million reasons why. It's a violation of bird law? <laughs> yeah, it's a bird law. You, you know, you don't want to fuck with birds. No, no, aviation law, international aviation law. And there's a million reasons why. But I think the biggest reason why you you don't want, uh, why the international community doesn't want states to be transporting weaponry with civilian aircraft is because you don't want a state thinking that any civilian aircraft is fair game because weapons may be on board. It would be a total disaster. So think about like a uh, you know, sinking of the Lusitania, you know, uh, even though we, we like definitely had weapons on there. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm saying, right? So the, the reason why it's it's against the rules is because we don't want you know, any it's state putting civilians any, at risk. I'm, sorry? It's putting civilians at risk. Exactly right, and and even even you know it it puts them at risk regardless if there's weapons on board or not, right? So that's why these rules are in place, and for the most part, people follow them. And what was interesting about this, you know, is that uh, you know it's a fair rule, I would say. Yeah, totally. Don't it's allow, like allow civilian don't smuggle arms, off, off limits, right? Like, don't do that. Don't don't smuggle arms with commercial airlines. Is right. is a uh, not a. It's a, it's a it's a regulation that I don't find unreasonable. No, no, not at all. And and the airline, to to be fair to them, they they deny these claims. Obviously, that CNN is is putting out here, and and I'll quote them. They say, to the best of its knowledge and its records, it has not transported any war armament in any of its routes by any of its aircraft. Well, I mean, the CEO of uh, Ethiopian Airlines probably doesn't know anything about this. He's not like, hey, guys, well, uh, next board meeting, we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, smuggling weapons across the country. Well, Ethiopian Airlines, I'm pretty sure uh, what you're saying. So but there's different. You have contrary. Uh, uh, yeah. So you think the, they it, do? it gets complicated be- before you before you okay. come to that conclusion. I'd, I'd All right. Hear let me, me let me hear you out. Yeah. So CNN obtained. And they actually showed on the show, and I saw this on the on the TV, uh, cargo manifests as well as pictures 
on live TV. And it's honestly kind of silly how poorly, uh, you know, this, this airline tried to cover this up. Because in one of the manifests, it straight up said rifles and DFS, which is rifles and dry food stuffs, right? So uh, the counterclaim to this is that it was fake and Photoshop, but evidently CNN used some, you know, techno wizardry and, and like looked into it and tried to see if it was like Photoshopped. And apparently they, they said they're legit. Um, but like all of these manifests are saying that they're literally carrying rifles and shit, <laughs> um, which is like, they didn't even try to cover it up in that respect. Um, so I'll read directly from um, the CNN article, actually. Uh, I think it makes more sense, uh, especially with relation to your, your comment about the CEO not really knowing anything about it. Um, so on at least six occasions from November 9th to November 28th, Ethiopian Airlines billed Ethiopia's Ministry of Defense tens of thousands of dollars for military items, including guns, ammunition, and the like, shipped to Eritrea. So we're talking about line items on their budget that's you know, on their sales that says guns. <laughs> and we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. This isn't like a small amount of money that they're getting, huh. right? So, you know, maybe the CEO didn't know about it, right? But the the airline, generally speaking, definitely saw it. It's not like a small little thing that happened, right? Um, and and we know all this information because they show up in these documents called airway bills. And basically, these are like manifests of the cargo that need to be submitted to the crew uh, because they need to know how to handle the goods that they're transporting safely. But what we're going to find here is that they, you know, they don't really transport things very safely at all. Um, so one of these waybills, um, and, and this is uh, very similar to the last one, showed that the Ethiopian Airlines charged Ethiopia $166,398.32 for about 2,643 pieces of, quote, DFS and rifle with AM. So again, dry foodstuffs with rifles with ammunition on that flight. There's a hunt there's almost 200 grand to transport 200 2600 pieces of, of of things. This is not something that like flies under the radar, like literally, you know? So, little hard to deny this. And that's pretty that's pretty um astonishing yeah. that it it's so open. It's so uh it was pretty blatant transparent. You know? Yeah, like, it was Aren't you going to do something like that? Call it something else. Try to do it covertly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, can't I mean, you it... can't you pay someone off to um, to lie? Like, can't right? you pay Just someone write, off? Write can't you pay yep. someone? You know, a certain percentage of that money to just like. Just to can't you bribe people at least? Yeah, like I'm sure it doesn't trail? cost Come very on, much. Like, can't like... you bribe people? Like, here's 500 bucks. Write anything else other than rifles, <laughs> you know? Um, like, I feel like that that could be easily done. But, you know, the thing about this is that what's I was very concerned about this, and I only found this on the on, – they didn't talk about it on the, on the uh, program when they aired it. But in the, um, in the uh, report that they wrote up online, I, I learned that both cargo and passenger planes were used in these operations. Um, I was really concerned. I was like, okay, so this private company does have cargo planes, and I'll talk a bit more about that, but they also have, obviously, 
commercial airlines, passenger planes. Um, but they didn't find any evidence of civilian passengers being on any of those flights that were carrying weapons. But just because they didn't find the evidence doesn't necessarily exonerate it, right? It's entirely possible. It's possible that there were civilians on planes while there was guns on the planes. Um, well, well I, I guess I but I guess the point is, though, what you brought up earlier is not necessarily that if civilians were on the plane, it's the fact that if civilian planes are being used to transport weapons, that almost makes them fair game. So that's right. That's right. If, if that's it's a too grand, uh, if um, um, rebel, the TPLFs decide, to... hey, shit, any any you know Eritrea, um, Ethiopian airline that flies remotely close to Eritrea, they're carrying weapons. They might think about shooting one down, right? Because that's like a, a like a very valuable lifeline, you know, to Eritrea in this in this war, right? So, you know, that's. It's troublesome. And so a couple of the ways that they try to cover this up, and here's here's another reason why I think there's definitely something to this story. A lot of those flights don't appear on like popular online flight tracking platforms because there's a lot of like, remember when we did the one on, um, on the moored mines uh, and, and the ships and how that one ship uh, that got blown up allegedly by, you know, Iran, um, uh, we were able to like look at the the shipping, the the tracking of that ship and where it was, and we found out that it was in China, like mad far away, you know. Um, well, the same thing exists for airplanes, and you know, for commercial flights, you can see, you know, all of the the flight paths that the different planes take all over the world. But a lot of these don't actually appear on them, and when they do, their destination in Eritrea is not visible, meaning that information is not there, and. The flight path, you can like watch it go from, you know, uh, uh, some some airport in Ethiopia. And then once it hits the the border of Eritrea, it just the 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 flight path is stops like it just vanishes. Right. And so uh, allegedly how they're able to do that is, you know, according to like eyewitnesses and and crew that CNN was able to interview the crew actually has the ability to turn off this ADSB tracking, which is like this radar tracking inside the airplane. Um, you can shut that off, but you don't do that on a legit flight. You know what I mean? Like if it's a legit flight, you leave that shit on because there's safety reasons. So ADSB, you know, I, I recently learned about this because I fly drones, and it's like a it's like an early warning system so that make sure that other planes in the air know where you are, make sure things on the ground know where you are. So if you shut that off, you run the risk of like, I don't know, crashing planes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, there's just not a really good reason to shut it off for like a legit flight. So why are they shutting it off? Why are so many of these flights not appearing on flight tracking platforms? Why do the flight paths just magically end when they hit the border of Eritrea? Shit doesn't, it doesn't add up, you know? Well, in the words of another CNN reporter, maybe the plane flew into a black hole. Don Lemon. Maybe. Do you know what I'm talking Do you know what I'm talking about right Are you there? You're talking about like the missing flights? The Malaysia, I think it was the yeah, Malaysia the flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those fucking. Don stupid. Lemon's like in his, uh, in his uh, show, he was like, 
Where did this ship go? Maybe it flew into a black hole. Up next, we'll have more details. Like he had yeah, that right. segment. Yeah, no, it was, it was very silly. Well, let me let me actually um let me read a little bit of the article again here um because I want to talk about some of the testimony that they got from people on the ground crew, um and I think you'll find this very uh, interesting. So uh, one guy says the cars were Toyota pickups, which have stands for snipers. The employee said. I got a call from the managing director late at night informing me to handle the cargo. Soldiers came in at 5 a.m. to start loading two big trucks loaded with weapons and the pickups. I had to stop a flight to Brussels, a 777 cargo plane, which was loaded with flowers. Then we unloaded half of the perishable goods to make space for the armaments. The flight loaded with both weapons and flowers traveled to Eritrea and then returned to Addis uh, before flying on to Brussels the following day. Okay, let's unpack that. So first yeah, of all, well, first comment though, I, I want to yeah. make the trucks were already modified <laughs> yeah. before shipping them. Like that sounds yep. kind of s- silly. Why would right. you modify the trucks before they they got to the destination? Because they they really just wanted to rush those those Toyota Hiluxes over to Eritrea so that they can use them in the war. Man, I always assume, you know, when we were shipping uh, um, cars, uh, Toyota trucks to Syria for the Syrian mm-hmm. rebels. We just um, shipped the trucks. We just shipped the trucks. They weren't shipping trucks that were already modified with like mount, like machine gun mounts and sniper mounts. So uh, that means that if this is true, that means that they modified the trucks prior with, to, to make them into to military vehicles to, to right. make them into light cavalry essentially right right and then there's no plausible and, deniability there there's yeah there's no plausible deni- it almost sounds like so blatant that it has to be made up but i mean i don't i mean i don't think that it sounds credible right I, what's your take on that well no I, I i totally agree it's so wild but if we take this along with you know the the cargo manifests and the 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 way um the uh, what did I what do we call that I already forgot the word for it uh, the way whatever air something who cares you guys heard it a minute ago <laughs> I already lost the it. ADSB tracking no 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 not that the the way bills sorry uh, like, I don't know what's wrong with me today I'm forgetting all my words the airway bills yeah what the Joe Biden has the the rifles and with the ammunition and all that shit. Anyway, if, if you take them both together, it's, it just seems like like gross. E- either, either it's totally fake, right? Because it's like so blatantly, you know, obvious. Or they were just in such a rush to get arms and shit over that they didn't dot their eyes and cross their t's to try and cover it up. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. 
Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money and not just your own. To follow trends, track financial situations, follow gains and losses, check out the Yahoo Finance podcast. Every day, we'll give you a quick overview of the latest market and financial news that you need to know. You'll be able to hear about the biggest headlines in the business world in three minutes or less, right after markets close. It's perfect to listen to while you make another cup of coffee or work out a new budget. Check it out now. Listen to Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. You know, and- yeah, I mean... It's it's more believable that they did that they rushed those than that than CNN got some fake testimony. To be completely honest, right. Um, so, also, can we point out the fact that poor Brussels didn't get their shipment of flowers, <laughs> oh, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, I mean, Brussels is a place that it, needs but, flowers. You ever go to Brussels? Eventually, before? they got their flowers, but it was like probably wilted oh. by then because they had to make two trips. You know, you ever been to Brussels before? No, I haven't actually. No, I didn't like it. I don't like Brussels. It's not very nice. Well, maybe they just needed more flowers. <laughs> they need fl- they need flowers. <laughs> Granted, right. I went there right after the terrorist attack, but oh, so oh I yeah, I remember that. Different. I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a little bit of a different atmosphere, but uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure, kind of a. All right, some more dangerous stuff. So remember how I was saying city. earlier that. Remember how I was saying earlier that they. You, know, you want to submit these waybills to the crew of the of the flight so that they know how to handle stuff, right? So, like, if if we were gonna say they're shipping weapons, right? Like, they ought to know that there's weapons on board because you know, like, you don't want some you know knucklehead on on the ground crew just tossing a crate of you know live ammunition around. You know, that shit could probably blow up. You know, so that's a problem. Also, there's probably maybe some things that they have to do around like the pressurization and stuff like that and make sure that um, nothing explodes. Um, but here's another interesting testimony um, from a former employee. I want to underscore the former part there for a minute. But um, so they said that uh, for the, the article reads, the former employee warned soldiers that the vehicles were carrying far more gas than was allowed under international air transport rules but said that they were overruled after a direct call from an army commander. He, the commander, uh, said, we are going to war and we need the fuel to be loaded, the employee said. Then I referred the issue to my manager and my manager took responsibility and allowed them to load it. Okay, so a couple things here. First of all, uh, you know, it's a pain in the ass to fly with like lithium ion batteries. Like I, I fly with a bunch of technology and you have to take it all out and you have to like make sure that it's, you know, packaged right and shit like that and you can't check any of it because if it's you know under the 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 plane in the cargo area that shit blows up there's also a lot of really bad you know um things that could happen if you're transporting literally fuel so my guess from reading this is that the rules for transporting vehicles is that they have to have low fuel right to uh, obviously enough fuel to be able to drive them around when you get them off the thing but not so much that you know you cause any undue risk so they're flying around with with a bunch of you know trucks that are stocked full of fuel, right? So it's literally a bomb. <laughs> you know, it's an accident waiting to happen. 
So there's that. And then the second thing is, and probably the more important part, is that an army commander calls this guy on the ground and says, we're going to war and we need that fuel. Again, this is eyewitness testimonies. So, you know, yeah, it, but it, but it's pretty nuts. You know, like they're, they're saying straight up, no, 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 we're using this for war. Like if the sniper, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, modifications aren't enough of a call and all of the rifles and shit aren't enough of a call, literally the dude says, no, 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 we're using this for war. Put it on the plane. Yeah. So these things are, these things are landing and then they're fighting they're out in the battle just going, the next couple right? of hours yeah right they're yeah. going to the battlefield right they're going right there now it's okay. like you can't you can't you can't find i mean you're at they're landing in an airport right they can't fuel up at the airport like there's not gas that they have on hand not enough time man and, there's, and not, maybe, there's not enough time not enough time and maybe also they're trying to conserve it like they're trying to send it ready to go right so yeah could they fuel it up sure how long does it take to fuel up all those trucks i don't know a little while right but but if they're planning on using them like right now there's that and also maybe eritrea was low on gas right and so they're like send it to them with gas so that it's ready to go you know i don't know it could just I, be I just oversight too could be it's like could all right be. well who cares they're like i all want right, these it, things i want these things out the there in an hour before when, after they land if, the, if mm-hmm. it if it takes you know a half hour to refuel the fuel all this stuff up then you know, could make a difference. Send them in the first place. Yeah, it can right. make a big difference. Could make a difference. Now, okay, I want to point out, and just to be fair here, right? To be fair to the uh, Ethiopian government and and air the airlines, it's important to point out that a lot of these employees that CNN interviewed were identified as Tigrayan, right? Oh, so little wrench in here, right? That, that that throws a huge wrench, little wrench, but also that's a, that's a huge wrench because also, I mean there are massive propaganda campaigns going on in the United on both States, sides. especially right from both sides. Both sides are are hiring. You know they they do the standard of when they're in a conflict, they say okay, well the first thing that we need to do is make sure that we're on the right side of American uh, you know public attitude. So we need to hire some DC lobbying firms to make us spin this. <laughs> right. So um, they both man, there was this article uh, I was reading. I forgot where I read it from, but I'll I'll try to find it. Where it was just going over both um, the Ethiopian governments and uh, the the the, the Grands mm-hmm. um, hiring DC lobbying firms to spin the war and <laughs> on like social media and stuff. Jeez. Um, so both sides are are definitely engaged in, in uh, making sure that U.S. that the U.S. Good, public attitude public is, opinion. is right. Mm-hmm. But here, here's the thing that both sides don't realize: no one cares in the United States. Besides, <laughs> like, like yeah. that that's a sad thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but no one cares except us. And Warhawks. our audience, and like right. you know, like like this is a very niche thing to be to care about Ethiopian politics. To be completely in honest, the US, it's a very least, niche. Yeah. It's not normal for someone to care about the stuff in the United States. Mm-hmm. And most people, when they see that there's a war going on in Ethiopia, 
they're going to assume that war has been going on for many years and they're just going to be like, all right, well, you know, another war in an African country, whatever. Right. Did they get the girls back yet? Like they're going to be like, they're going to still think that, you know, they're going to associate the war with like some other country Mm -hmm. stuff. You know what I mean? Like Americans can't decipher the difference between African countries and, you know, which war was what, like it's, I don't think that's even a bad thing. I think it's not, you don't need to understand politics in every single country. Right. Um, it takes a lot of effort to do that. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, so we hope you appreciate us doing all this background research to help you understand it. But um, I want to go back to that point about them being Tigrayan because if you remember earlier, I had that brain fart where I forgot the word discrimination. Um, apparently, these some of these employees that they interviewed were also suspended from their jobs right after they were involved in um, loading up these planes. And so these folks are claiming that they were discriminated against because of their ethnicity. So there's something to say there as well, right? So on the one hand, they could be lying for the, you know, they could be just peddling nonsense for the tea grains. On the other hand, it's a little suspect that they were let go of their jobs pretty much immediately afterwards, you know, um, so there's that. And even if you throw out all of this eyewitness testimony, there's still all of that documentation that CNN found and the bits about how the flights just disappeared off the tracking, you know, there's enough there, you know, if you take it all together, it's kind of hard to totally refute what CNN is reporting here. You know? Yeah, man. If, if, um, the, the only way that you could refute it would be to, um, really just accuse that there's like a giant misinformation campaign going on. Right. On and, and that's always side. a possibility, but that, that that's always a possibility, but it's like, man, it seems there does seem like there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that th- this, this is happening. Um, but maybe we're proven wrong in the future. However, like it just, the, the evidence does seem damning even without the, uh, the testimonies. Yep. Yep. So what I also found super interesting about this story is the airline itself, um, you know, and, and and the reason why I found it so interesting and, and why I was happy that you were down to do another episode on Ethiopia was because we were already talking about a similar story where the CIA, you know, sets up a, a very profitable airline uh, and decides to use it to smuggle weapons, you know, um, Kind of the same shit happened here. You know, Ethiopian Airlines is a state-owned business, and it's crazy lucrative. It generates billions of dollars, and it travels all over the world. And it's also a member of the Star Alliance Group, um, which is uh, some. It includes some of the world's top aviation companies in it. So, like, they're up there. They're like top tier, you know, airline. And uh, kind of on the side, Ethiopia, and and you pointed this out in the beginning, is is a regional power and a lot of the reason why they are is because the because of this ethiopian airlines like they dominate cargo especially in africa they're basically the go-to for shipments there and i already mentioned that they bring in billions of dollars right but the thing about ethiopian airlines and ethiopia generally speaking is not they aren't like some kind of capitalist unicorn, right? They, they're not like organically just really good at business and suddenly, you know, they're rich. There's, there's, always a, <laughs> there's always a backer here. And in this case, 
it's us. It's the <laughs> it's the U.S. Um, so there's this investment program in the U.S. It's it's relatively new, but we've been investing in in Ethiopia for years for reasons that you pointed out earlier on. You know, especially around the Cold War and things like that. I mean, remember China has uh, their only net um, uh, military base, which I just learned about today. Um, you know, in Djibouti, which is in in the Horn of Africa. So you know. A lot of people have been pumping money into this region, but specifically the U.S. And we have this investment program uh, for Africa, generally speaking, called the U.S. African Growth and Opportunity Act, or AGOA. Uh, and this act basically gives money to African countries for both humanitarian relief and uh, also economic expansion. Um, so I got this one bit from USAID.gov, uh, just to like give you some, some background on it. Uh, so they write that Africa is a market of 1.1 billion people and it will account for one-fifth of the world's population by 2025. Uh, and spending by African consumers and businesses is expected to reach $5.6 trillion by 2025. So that's a lot of money on the table, right? A lot of people, a lot of money. Uh, USAID uh, hubs work on the ground to reduce the cost and risk of doing business in Africa. So they set up these you know, hubs uh, to help you know the economy and, and help it uh, help them make you know uh, investments and and build infrastructure and the like right so that doing business is easier. USAID has spent about ninety four million dollars on trade and institutional capacity building in Africa since twenty fifteen, so that's also a lot of money. And this is an interesting point: Africa's rate of return on investments is higher than any other region. The hubs have created investment opportunities in Africa worth $600 million and growing. Uh, and also, the hubs are spearheading new model of private sector-led development. That's pretty important, private sector-led development. Um, for every $1 of public money spent on trade programs in Africa, the hubs leverage $9 in private investment. So uh, let me go back real quick. That $94 million uh, that of public money that we're putting in, you know, you can multiply that by 10, uh, for the, to get the, the private investment that's going in. And I'll talk about what private investments are going in in a second here, but, um, so U S exports to sub sub Saharan Africa supported 120,000 jobs in the U S in 2014, right? So that's, you know, the, uh, kind of domestic political capital that we need, right? Remember, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders signed off on the F-35 because it helped out with jobs and it was a lot less than 120,000, right? So now you're getting, you're roping in the kind of political brass here in the United States into this because it's creating jobs. So no one wants to not do this. Uh, but also it's helping Africa legitimately. Like since 2010, the hubs have created 46,000 uh, African jobs, but yeah. Just look at those numbers compared to one another. 46,000 African jobs versus 120,000 U.S. jobs. Mm, you know, interesting. So there's a reason to put money into Africa is what I'm trying to say. Um, so Ethiopia happens to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this act that we're talking about. As we mentioned in the beginning of the show, they're, they're the second largest country in Africa. Um, so obviously they would probably get a big chunk of this aid. Uh, and, uh, if you remember from my, uh, private, uh, investment sector, um, comment in 2017, us exports to Ethiopia specifically consisted primarily of aircraft 
and aircraft components from Boeing. And they were valued at more than $857 million in just 2017. So I'm going to let you sit on that. Boeing is, is doing a lot of business with Africa, with specifically Ethiopia. Yeah, that's interesting. And those planes happen to be the ones that Ethiopia is using to smuggle weapons in Eritrea. <laughs> yeah. I guess they weren't expecting that. Yep. So it comes, well, maybe they were, dude. Maybe they were, right? I mean, we had we had um, Christian Sorensen on about a year ago, right? And, you know. Yeah, maybe they were. Part, part of like what. point. You know, part of what he was talking about, you know, understanding the, the the war industry, you know, is how closely linked uh, these private sector defense companies uh, are with, you know, military spending and things like that. And, and if they're sending shit tons of planes over there and making a lot of money doing so, it might make sense to protect their investments. You know, they might want to create a military hegemony in the Horn of Africa underneath Ethiopia to protect that investment and also to continue supplying them with more product, right? Who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm stretching here a little bit, but I'm sure that people listening to the show probably follow the thread. Well, Ethiopia is kind of like, has been kind of like the U.S.'s Israel and Africa. Kind of, you a know, little bit. Like it, you know, our enforcement arm there i mean look well i actually wouldn't call that israel the u.s's enforcement arm um but you know they use ethiopia to the you know the the they're like their policeman more art more like the shah of iran used to be mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so the thing is that you know you put all this together right and we say we're pumping a lot of money into Ethiopia. We have these private investments, specifically Boeing. They they prop up this wildly successful um, airline. And that makes Ethiopia economically strong. It also gives them, as an unintended result, or maybe an intended result, uh, the capability to ferry you know these weapons around very easily because they've, they've got their logistics on lock. Um, so... You know, in times of crisis like the one that we're in right now, they have the the they have the planes, they have the you know the know-how, they have the logistics to be able to you know swing the tide of war in any direction that they want. Because as you know, like wars are won mostly through logistics, right? Um, in World War II, the the Germans probably could have taken you know uh, uh, Russia's capital there, but but because of logistical issues, they weren't able to. Right. And, and, you know, this story pops up so many times in, in almost every war that we ever talk about. If you don't have the right logistics, you're not going to win a war. Um, and so this kind of brings up a lot of questions about, all right, well, should we continue providing Ethiopia's support if they're breaking aviation rules and if they're aligning themselves with Eritrea, who, you know, is uh, for the most part, the media is saying that they're doing atrocities, you know, we're starting to see the, the kind of picture of this narrative developing 
And on Tuesday, uh, a spokesperson um, told CNN that they were going to conduct a review of the of Ethiopia's eligibility for AGOA in 2022. Um, and that's interesting because they're saying that they could recommend to the president, so Biden, uh, to add or remove certain countries from the AGOA beneficiary country status. Um, so the month, the, the, the money pit might dry up. So it's interesting to think of like, what could CNN's agenda be on this one, on this, uh, on this story? Like, is there a preference for leadership there? Um, I don't. I I almost can't believe that there's genuine concern to do good reporting from a from a corporate outlet like this. Um, so I'm just wondering. I think the reporting sounds accurate, but I'm saying like I wonder what the if there is an agenda behind it. Yeah, what's the it. mo? Right. And, and and what it what is the mo? Is there like does U.S. foreign policy really prefer um, the the people from the the Tigray region? Do they just not like? um the current leadership right now they don't like the current coalition like i'm interested i mean eritrea is kind of a really horrible country i'll just say that out right now eritrea is one of the most despotic countries in the world their government Um, is that is to be clear yeah the government i'm always i'm not saying the people i'm saying the government is is like sometimes you got to clarify that (laughs) because that's how we get in trouble yeah um but I wonder, it's it's not great. Uh, it's not a great ally to have. Uh, however, they've been removed from. Um, I forget the list that they were they were recently removed from uh, in terms of states. But yeah, I'm just trying to th- think. I'm, I honestly, I need to get deeper into this to to, to kind of come up with a a good speculative uh, theory on on why the CNN, because right now I'm kind of basing it off like, hmm, well, the state department has a better relationship with, with, um, you know, the, the people from the, the TPDL or you know, people from the, the T gray part of the power sphere. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a preference there, but oh, there's there so might many, be something deeper. There's so many I, factors. I, I, I honestly, yeah, there's so many, there's so many things that it could be. I really, I'm not really buying into this thing that China. It's because of China. Yeah, I, I didn't want to bring that up Maybe there's more to but, bite on it. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense, really. You know, I, there was that one story that you sent me uh, from National Interest where they were talking about how Chinese ballistic missiles and Iranian drones are popping up in the, you know, civil war, and and that maybe there's something to do there. You know, uh, how maybe China is uh, supplying one or both sides with weapons and. You know, the U.S. has to take some kind of stance uh, to prevent China from gaining any leverage in the region or something like that. I don't know. That it's that sounds like bullshit to me. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. And if you read that article, it's about it. It also says that drones and ballistic missiles from Iran, Israel, and um, Turkey are there too. So it's mm-hmm. not like just China supplying. It just seems like weapons from everywhere are ending up there because right. of the war and yeah, you know, that, these that, weapon systems these weapons end up on black markets and they end up going to countries that are fighting wars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i don't really see i don't really see a strong connection there i mean china definitely yeah. has to play something in there and you know cnn's definitely gonna have something to say about that you know um and 
there's also just the you know war fatigue issue you know uh is it that you know cnn wants to peddle the idea (laughs) of getting involved again by you know getting involved in another war by showing this like sad story of a small ethnic group being bullied by two countries on both sides of it is that maybe it like they're trying to yeah they're trying to get people to like stomach the idea of u.s intervention by playing up the tigre inside here here's the thing here's the thing though i the american public would not buy into this war like it it is just it so like i was saying earlier i think americans probably kind of uh, associate every single african conflict into one mm-hmm. into, into one conflict that they can that they remember like right. they probably think of like this as an extension of the rwandan genocide <laughs> yeah, i was just gonna say that yeah Mm-hmm. They don't, that's probably like oh that kind of like the Rwandan genocide honestly if I was talking to any of my friends about this and I was like hey man like it's going on in Ethiopia oh is it like the Houthis and the Tutsis like is, is it, they would <laughs> yeah. think that that um they they would can totally conflate this with something with with something else um so I don't think that selling Americans that you need to um intervene on in this conflict i think would uh would would not go well and i don't think joe biden has any interest in getting involved in this like joe biden has um basically said some stuff like yeah this needs to stop and i think he's meeting with uh with um with kenya for you know for some peace conference i'm not sure what day it is i think it's coming up this week though yeah i I actually Um, have this episode quote from yeah Biden this episode actually. is going to come out on sunday mm-hmm. and we're recording this on wednesday mm-hmm. the 13th right yeah so this is going to be like five days this is going to come out like five days after we record this so who knows what can change um however it is uh i don't i don't think biden really cares like we just pulled out of out of afghanistan there's definitely a wing of uh the state department that is fatigued by this and it's like oh well, it, deal it, it looks like stuff. Biden might be just trying to pull the, you know, um, the sanctions card here because he, he said, yeah, it, he's just like, what can I do to say to think that I care about this, but not really do anything? Right. OK, fine. Sanctions. Right. So he, he actually said that's um, that the, the humanitarian crisis and the human rights crisis in Ethiopia is, quote, an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States, which is interesting language. In, in, in general, you know, um, so he's he's noting that it is a threat to national security and maybe he's just placating the, you know, the Warhawks back at home. But the, the things that they're doing about it is putting in place mechanisms to impose sanctions on individuals and entities engaged in the war and abuses, which is so broad, right? Um, so, yeah, there's that. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. I have nothing else to really say on this topic unless you do. <laughs> no, man. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty fascinating stuff. Um, definitely something I'm going to be watching. Um, yeah, hope for a, a quick and, and humane you know, resolution to this nonsense because it is nonsense. And I think part part of the, the, the thing that I want to make sure that everyone understands is that 
even if you're not very familiar with Ethiopian politics or history or, or anything like that, there are like hundreds of thousands of people that are dying and, and being displaced and, and shit like that. So it's, it's really bad. And much in the same way that we, you know, kind of talked a lot about Yemen in the past and, and the, the, the crisis that's happening there, you know, it's, it's never a good thing, you know, not, none of this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this it's hard. Like war is hell, and it's horrible, and yeah. uh, it's uh, it leads to nothing but misery. So, I've the only thing is I can really say is like, hopefully, this gets resolved. Um, I think there's going to be a better chance of it getting resolved without without uh, any type of uh, intervention. Yep. But um, all right, let's let's uh, end this thing and sure. uh, say thanks to our audience. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening to another episode of Bro History. If you want to support the show, rate and review the podcast. That is the number one way to support the show. Just rate and review us if you're on iTunes. Um, if you're listening to us on Spotify or something like that, then you can also just share it with a friend, which is always helpful. Um, you can also join our Patreon. Our Patreon will give you access to our Slack account. Um, our Slack account is awesome. I love our Slack account. It is um, one of the most entertaining things to read every single morning. Like everyone is commenting and sharing stories. Like it's it's a really cool uh, community that we built up. Most so, recently, uh, we, join our pa- Most recently, we debated on whether or not I'm a CIA plant. So that was yes. Fun. <laughs> that was the last topic of conversation. Is Danny a CIA plant? And I'm still not 100% sure. That's, that he probably is. He I probably either confirm is. nor deny. <laughs> this podcast is a CIA front, by the way. <laughs> it's a CIA front. Um, all right. So uh, anything else would you nope, like man. to add? Um, I'm good. <laughs> all right. Let's end this thing. Um, all right, guys. See you next week. Peace. Peace. feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.